Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Now, on this episode, we're talking all about customer experience and then some. What is it? Why does it matter? Perhaps now more than ever. And what are some of the leading companies doing to optimize their approach to CX and much, much more? So stay tuned. Hey, quick programming note before we get started here today. If you love this conversation and you're going to because we have a home run guest, hey, make sure you find Supply Chain now and subscribe so you don't miss future conversations just like this. Okay. So as you can see, we have a wonderful guest here today. I want to introduce our special guest. So uh, our guest today is an internationally acclaimed keynote speaker, coach, consultant, author, and much, much more. For over 20 years, our guest led marketing teams in almost every marketing channel imaginable. He worked for some of the biggest brands that everyone knows and loves, including McDonald's, Humana, and Discover. He's a true thought leader and subject matter expert on critical topics, including customer experience, which is really all the rage. A lot of companies are learning how to get this right here lately. And he has recently completed what is being called, quote, the go-to resource for customer experience, a book entitled The Experience Maker. So we've got to welcome in The Experience Maker here today, Dan Gingas. Dan, how are you doing this afternoon? Well, thank you for that amazing introduction, Scott. I'm super excited to be here with you and talk some supply chain and customer experience and how it all goes together. Love it. Well, you know, I skipped right over this personal note here because you got a bunch of them on your website and I love that kind of stuff. And the one I, I snagged was our, you, you, Dan Gingas, has sung the national anthem in a group at three major league baseball stadiums. Dan, that's awesome. Yeah, I actually did that, believe it or not, in business school. Because, of course, everybody goes to business school to join an acapella group. Uh, that was the first and only time I've been a member of an acapella group. And it was a bunch of guys. I used to say, you know, we'd sit around, drink beer, and occasionally sing. And it was the most fun I ever had. Uh, we got to sing at Wrigley Field twice, uh, at Miller Park in Milwaukee twice, and then also at, uh, I don't even know what they're calling it anymore, but what was Comiskey Park, U.S. Cellular, guaranteed rate field in Chicago as well. Where the White uh, Sox play. Where the White Sox play, <laughs> yes. Uh, and it was super fun. Really a great time. Love it. So when you said the acapella group, my brain immediately goes to Andy from the office. And I cannot remember the name of his acapella group from uh, from college. But what a what a classic sitcom series. And that's one of the yep. funniest funniest dudes. It sounds like y'all have some similar stories in your background. But so if you can't tell in Dan's answer, you know, the backdrop is Chicago. You live in one of the best cities around the world, certainly a, a, an iconic American city, global city. So is that where you grew up, Dan? It is. Born and raised. I've spent almost my entire life here. I, I went to school out on the East Coast and then worked uh, for about four years after college on the East Coast as well. And just to show you what, you know, how the world has changed, I came back to Chicago in 2000 to go to business school. But one of the reasons I was pining to come back was that I couldn't watch Cubs games. 
in, in the East Coast. It's, there was no way to do it. And it's so funny to think about that now. It was only 20 years ago. Uh, and obviously, you could be anywhere on the planet and watch Cubs games now. Uh, but at the time, it was something that was really missing for me. And so uh, that led me back home. Love that. You know, I, I remember, um, of course, the Braves were everywhere back in the 80s and early 90s, Superstation WTBS. But we got WGN where I grew up in South Carolina. So I saw lots of day games on WGN and uh, Sean Dunstan and, of course, George Bell when he played a couple years, I think, with the Cubs way back when. Yeah. Uh, of course, Greg Maddox in those early days. But um, I bet you had a ton of great experiences as a Cubs fan, especially here lately with some of the mega teams y'all have had. Well, it's interesting. For many, many years, 108 of them to be exact, uh, the definition of loyalty was being a Cubs fan. And so I learned a lot about loyalty because, you know, anytime you follow a team that stinks for that bad, for that long, uh, you got to be loyal. Uh, and so anytime I meet another Cubs fan, I already know something about them. They're a, they're a trooper. They've been through some stuff. But uh, yeah, we got our World Series win and now we're bad again. So it's a, it's a full circle. <laughs> hey, we get it. As a Braves fan, you know, 95 feels forever ago. And we've been through some trials and tribulations. But hey, you know what? On a brighter note, at least baseball has been back. A little sports has been back. It's been a great departure from uh, this pandemic backdrop. But For sure. So before we get into the heavy lifting and kind of talk more about uh, a lot of your expertise, let's uh, one more personal question for you. So when you, when, if we were to survey your friends and family, uh, and and say, hey, what's one, un, uh, one um, iconic aspect trait attribute about Dan that is so, so Dan Gingas um, that's easily the easily identifiable? What what trait or attribute would that be? Well, I have to say, when I went back to my high school reunion, uh, people did remember me as being the biggest Cub fan they knew. And in fact, there were people that told me when the Cubs won the World Series that they thought of me, like people I hadn't talked to in, in decades, which was awesome. But because we've talked so much baseball, and I don't want people to be rolling their eyes if they're not baseball fans, I'm going to give you a different answer, Great. which is that uh, in the 80s, well, it was actually 70s and 80s, but I was growing up in the in the 80s. My dad ran a family business called Gingas Formalwear, which is a, a formalwear rental, tuxedo rental company that was franchised throughout the United States, so a few hundred stores across the country. And I was always, I don't know why, but I was always a really popular guy around prom time. Like everyone wanted to be my friend around prom time. I have no idea why that was. But that brand, of, uh, sadly, has, has gone the way of uh, so many others and is no longer around. But I would say that certainly people that know me growing up, that would have been something they would have identified with me. Outstanding. And, you know, if I recall correctly, your family's shop was in the backdrop of the Blues Brothers movie from way back in. Is that right? Very good memory. Uh, and still to this day, all these years later, at least once a year, somebody sends me that clip and says, hey, have you ever seen this? And uh, yes, it was the famous mall uh, car chase scene that ends with them crashing through the window of a Genghis former. But you are good because if you blink, you miss the sign. Like you really have to be paying attention uh, because if you just blink at the wrong time, you're going to miss it. But but it was indeed one of the stores. And my dad's got a fun story about how they came and asked him if that if they could have permission to do it. And of course, they had to rebuild the store and, and all that. But uh, pretty fun. Love that. We will have to uh, bring you back and dive into those family entrepreneurial stories and adventures I bet you could tell us. But today, I want to dive into this topic of customer experience. You know, we, we met doing some work for a, a large technology provider. And, and frankly, 
you know, here in supply chain, of course, we've been always driven by the customer, right? But but this the CX and and uh, the phrase customer experience was a, a new one for me, right? We kind of think about it in different terms. So for any of our listeners that you know maybe have heard that, and and it's hard not to hear that these days because it's so critically important. Leadership's focused on it, but to level set, define to you, you know, in your terms, what customer experience, the craft, the discipline, what does that refer to? Sure. Well, I love how you introduced that because I could say the same thing about supply chain, that it just really wasn't anything I ever thought about until really until you and I met. And uh, as we're about to talk about, it it became suddenly there was this aha moment for me where I was like, yeah, um, supply chain has a huge impact on customer experience. So I define customer experience as how a customer feels every time they interact with a brand. And the two important parts there are one, how a customer feels because perception is reality. So I'm sorry if your mobile app team says that they just built the greatest mobile app in the world and your customers say it's difficult to use, the answer is it's difficult to use. That's how they feel, right? And we have to respect that. The second thing is every single interaction. And so especially in today's omni-channel world, Customers are interacting with companies across many different dimensions. They might walk into a physical location. They might go to a website. They might call customer service. They might engage in social media. They might see a television ad. These are all different channels that they're engaging. And uh, and every one of those engagements contributes to how they feel about the brand. And so we have to be aware of all of those pieces and frankly ask ourselves in this digital social world at every step in the journey, would we like this to show up on Twitter or Facebook? And what my book is about is actually flipping that question on its side, which is how do we get this to show up on Facebook and and, and Twitter? How do we make an experience that's so great that people want to talk about it? But you got to look at it from both angles as well, because if you don't pay attention to hey, this could be shared and we this would be kind of embarrassing if it did get shared. That's a pretty good hint that you might want to adopt uh, some change to that experience. So well said. I really appreciate that. And for the folks that are watching the video replay, this is uh, what the book looks like. I was fortunate. Yeah, I got one I- of those too. Amazing. <laughs> uh, but mine's autographed, Dan. I'm not sure if you can- That's true. Can I didn't autograph my own. <laughs> <laughs> but so I love that definition. And, and you know, one of the first places my brain goes is, you know, here in Atlanta, we got plenty of uh, interstates and, and highways and byways, right? And, you know, a lot of folks will put a brand, whether it's an Apple, you know, from the Apple company or a Nike swoosh or, you know, the popular line of coolers that are really expensive. I can't remember the name of it right now. Yeti. Yeah, Yeti. Yeah, they'll put those stickers on the back of their, their vehicles, right? For free, free. And in fact, they probably pay to be able to do that. And I imagine that when folks do that, they've got to be thrilled with the products and big fans of the brand as you're describing. So whether it's social interaction and and some of what, you know, how the brands want those raving fans to share on social or as simple as the bumper sticker on the back of their car, I guess all of that rolls up into customer experience. Well, what they're doing with the bumper sticker on the car is they're providing word of mouth marketing, which is the holy grail for marketers. You know, marketers forever have been trying to figure out how do we get other people talking about us because that's way more credible than anything a brand can say. Mm. We all, when if you think about how we shop today for no matter what it is we're looking for, we ask our friends, we ask our family, we ask our business colleagues, we go read ratings and reviews. We want the social feedback 
before we purchase something. And so what we as organizations need to do is make sure that that social feedback is positive. I want to also point out that you just mentioned some very popular consumer brands and somebody in your audience, when you were mentioning those said, yeah, well, great, but my brand isn't like that. I'm in a boring industry, right? Well, let me tell you, I worked for a credit card company called Discover. And one of the things that absolutely shocked me when I got there is I read hundreds of pages of customer feedback. And there was a word that kept showing up that I never expected to show up for a credit card. And that word was love. I love my Discover card. Wow. I was like, what? I get it. If you love Coca-Cola, I get it. If you love Starbucks, if you love Disney, like I got that. But what? <laughs> you love your credit card? And the reality is, I later learned in 10 years at Discover, is that for years, Discover has been competing on service and experience. And that's what got people to love their credit card. I have legitimately never heard anyone say to me that they love their fill in your blank bank card. I've never heard that before, but I heard it all the time at Discover. And so that just shows you that no matter what industry you're in, even if you think you're in a boring industry or an industry where people, you don't think customers can love you, they absolutely can. It's just how you treat them. Gosh, I love that for so many reasons, including Discover was my first ever credit card ever years and years ago. And that is true um, of a, it's true of a lot of people. I have a quick question about that. Was it, did your parents have a Discover card? That's a great question. I think, uh, I don't know. I don't it's, know. A, it's a leading indicator of people's first card is what their parents have. It, 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 it's, it just is, you can pretty much draw a line and, and most of the time it's true. But also what is really critical is your first credit card tends to be, and I won't ask you if this is true with you, it's fine, um, but it tends to be the one you're most loyal to for your whole life. Um, because it's the first one that gave you credit. It's the first one that, you know, trusted you. It's an important moment when you get your first credit card. Well, so that without going into specifics, I uh, agree and never thought about it, but you're absolutely right. So, um, man, I, I'm already learning. I got three pages of notes already, Dan. I'll tell you what. Um, Learn stuff about yourself here. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I want to talk about, so I really appreciate, you know, kind of how we both level setted on the front end. If I'm using that word right, you know, me me about customer experience and you about supply chain because the worlds are colliding and, and we're, you know, gone are the days, you know, wait four to six weeks for delivery, right? That, that, and there's blue commercials with the credit card symbols as folks were, you know, dialing to order something, yeah. you know, gone are those days where the supply chain was just kind of how was had, it just it had to happen, right? It wasn't a true competitive advantage for the most part generalizing here. But now here in the information age, the Amazon age, as some folks call it, you name it, where you're getting stuff fast, getting the right stuff fast at the right price and getting it here, even though you don't need those socks for years and years, I got to have them tomorrow. I mean, just the landscape has changed dramatically. So question for you, has global supply chain management ever had this much impact on customer experience, do you think? Absolutely not. I think you're right that we were headed in that direction. You know, in the 90s and 2000s, we were talking about just-in-time inventory. And, and what's funny is customers became, customers ended up wanting just-in-time inventory, right? They want it now. They, 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 first, they wanted it in two days. Then they wanted it in one day. Now they want it same day, you know? And that's essentially just-in-time. But I think what was fascinating over the last year, year and a half, is industries as diverse as automobiles and ice cream. 
we're experiencing major supply chain disruptions. And normally what I would say is customers don't care. Like they don't care about the what's happening in the background, right? They just want the product there. And the challenge is for, for people certainly in supply chain and then also for the companies themselves is who's going to get blamed? The company, right? At the end of the day, it could be a shipping problem. It could be a manufacturing problem. It could be a delivery problem. It doesn't matter. The company is going to get blamed for it because ultimately we look at the company and we say, hey, your job is to get me the product. I don't care how you do it, right? And so I often say that that you know, customers don't care about your org chart, right? So, oh, well, we're really siloed. Sally handles this department and Mary handles this department. Mm, customer doesn't care. To, to them, you're one company and Sally and Mary are both part of the same company. And, you know, sorry, but we don't really care that you're in different departments. And so I think that's been the real challenge is there's been so many companies, some of which we didn't expect at all. I mean, I wrote an article about the things that were hard to find during the pandemic. And man, was that a diverse list. I mean, it was the most random things. Try finding a weight set for your teenage son over the last year and a half. It was impossible. Right. And these are not things that you would expect. If someone told you a pandemic was coming down the pike, you wouldn't necessarily say, oh boy, better, better stock up on the weight sets. Right. right. Or the porch furniture. Expected. Right. Yeah. Or the toilet paper or the semiconductors or insert, you know, item here. To follow up on that point where you're talking about how, you know, customers just, they're all one company, regardless of departments and whatnot. You know, we've started to see if you go purchase something at a, a, your local hardware store or, big retailer, whatever, when you bring it home and start to have to put it together in the instructions, it says, hey, before you, if you have any problems, before you return it to the store, hey, reach out to us and here's the number, right? Because I think, I think, and I'll defer to you, but I think those, those companies want to kind of cut off any problems at the pass since they know their product, they can make it right and they can make it good without any kind of feedback hitting the stores. That's my hunch. But um, what do you say you, Dan? It's so funny. I think you're right. But as a customer, you know what I think when I see that? I'm like, oh, crap, what's going to go wrong? You know, like, <laughs> I never thought anything was going to go wrong. But now I'm afraid there is going to be something right. to go wrong. Because <laughs> if they want me to call them, oh, boy. Uh, but no, I think you're right. They want to own that. Um, it's... Uh, also, I don't know the inner workings of Amazon, but you know, because Amazon's return policies are so generous, my guess is that somewhere down the road, the vendors and the you know the third-party sellers end up having to compensate for some of that, right. and so it's just cheaper for them to take a phone call than it is to take a returned product. Not to mention, if the product is in box, they may not be able to sell it again, and now it's wasted and all that. So, um, I think that uh, overall, I think it's a good plan, but it does. It's funny because, and, and this is, I always teach people this, you know, you have to talk to your customers to understand how they perceive things. Mm. And I'd be interested to see if those companies ever ran that message by potential customers or real customers to say, well, if you saw this, if you saw this buck slip when you opened up our product, what would you think? And I would tell them, I would think there's going to be something wrong with this product, <laughs> right? And, and, and that's clearly not what they wanted me to think. No, so that's a bad um as a bad assumption for to be rolling around between the ears of a of a customer right um, and, and i i'll tell you something else because you mentioned about building things i also wrote an article about uh can i can i name a brand positively please. okay with that okay about target uh, because i bought a um, tv stand from target now i had bought furniture before from that wonderful Swedish company that has the delicious meatballs. 
And every time I would pull open one of those boxes, I mean, if I had hair, I'd be pulling it out because it just, I don't like that stuff. Some people love building that stuff, not for me. So I get this thing from Target and I, I got my son and I'm like, all right, you know, whatever, we'll spend a couple hours building this thing. I take out the instruction guide. First thing I noticed is there's actually words in it, which is a step in the right direction. The first paragraph says, don't sweat it. This is going to be easy. Oh, I love that. And I was like, I looked behind me. I'm like, how'd they know I was sweating it already? <laughs> like, are they talking to me? Because, yeah, I'm sweating it. And then they went on to explain. They said, we did all the hard parts for you. And sure enough, when you went to put the cabinet in, they had already attached the hinges, which is the hardest part. All I had to do is snap the darn thing in. We built this thing in 20 minutes. Oh, and I, I felt so good and accomplished. And I went and wrote this article uh, about Target and about sort of the fact that just that first couple of sentences in their instructions telling me not to sweat it made all the difference in the world. And you compare that again to not trying to make fun, but instructions that don't have any words and that are sometimes hard to decipher and what have you. And, and frankly, never take 20 minutes, at least nothing I've ever bought. And so what I love about that is how different of an experience that is. And you think about, well, what did they have to do? Well, they, they had to buy it. They had to build a better product, certainly that was pre-assembled, but it was in the communication. And that, to bring it back to supply chain, Communication is such a key part of the experience. When customers are communicated with, when you give them a heads up, when you tell them what's happening and why, they are more than likely understanding, especially if they've had a good long relationship with you. If you hide it and you don't talk to them and you surprise them and they think their product's coming tomorrow and it doesn't come for another week and now you you know a birthday's been missed or whatever it is, well, now they're unhappy. And so communication is really, really key. And what I love, and I talk a lot about this in my book, there are so many places that we communicate with customers that we don't think of as marketing or experience opportunities. An instruction manual is a great example. A legal doc document is a great example. An invoice is a great example. These are all places that we don't have to be boring we don't have to be like everybody else. We can create an experience. Can you imagine getting an invoice and smiling? It's possible. You can, even though you're the one paying. Wouldn't it be great if we can make our customers smile when they get invoices? That's an experience. I love it. And I love the I love this this theme that's developing from our conversation here today. Kind of what you just shared there and going back to your time at Discover, where break the rules just because the industry is what it is and there's norms doesn't mean that, that you as business leader or as a business professional have to have to do just that and stay in that box. So I love that. And, and just that simple example of the um, you know, changing how instructions are written and, and, and instead of giving the bare minimum, basically encouraging and uplifting in that one moment that, hey, you can do this. It's not going to be hard. That's yeah. uh, the simple things are the powerful things sometimes. And the best thing is how much did it cost them to do that on that instruction manual? Nothing. They were printing the instruction manual anyway. They just decided to print it with language that was a little more friendly and a little more engaging. And I always like to say that companies should refuse to be boring and departments within companies. I talked to a, I did a speech recently to a, a whole room full of lawyers. And I said, you know, pun intended, there is no law that says you have to be boring, right? <laughs> <laughs> there just isn't. You can have fun. You can have a personality. And I showed them some legal disclaimers that are so funny that you want to read them. Can you imagine seeing a legal disclaimer and being like, I want to read that? <laughs> Again, 
unexpected experience in a place where, you know, you went from boring to memorable. That's a big difference along that line, right? And I think the more we can do that, the more, you know, people feel good about doing business with us. I love that. So, speaking of your book, that's what we're referencing here today. The oh wait, you're in this one over here. Yes, this guy, <laughs> the experience maker, uh, and that, and this is only your latest publication. You've had others, but let's talk about the experience maker. So sure. I know you can't do it justice, and don't give me a book quiz just yet. I hadn't finished it yet, but tell us a couple of key points that folks can find in there. Sure. So the book is the experience maker: how to create remarkable experiences that your customers can't wait to share. And if that sounds a little like marketing, it's because I spent 20 years as a marketer and I feel like I live at the intersection of customer experience and marketing. And as I said before, I want to help companies create that word of mouth that is the best marketing that they can have. So I introduce a framework in the book that is called WISER. It's my own proprietary method. And WISER stands for witty, immersive, shareable, extraordinary, and responsive. And these are five things that companies can do to create experiences that are remarkable. And remarkable is an intentional word, literally means worthy of remark, worthy of discussion, Hmm. right? And so when we create these kinds of experiences, we get customers to talk about us. And there's research behind that. There's research that has shown that people are more likely and more willing to share positive customer experiences than they are negative ones. The problem is, most of us don't have very many positive experiences with the companies we do business with. Hmm. When I, I do this, I do this uh, quiz every time or the survey every time when I'm on stage, I'll ask an audience, tell me, raise your hand if you remember the last time that a company wowed you so much that you couldn't wait to tell friends and colleagues. And I don't care if there's 100 people in the room or 1,000, four always raise their hand. That's it. <laughs> and then I say, raise your hand if you remember the last time you were disappointed by a company. Not only does every hand always go up, but I swear to you, I did a live presentation in June. The guy in the front row jumped out of his seat and said, that was just this morning. (laughs) Right? So, And let me tell you about it. Yeah. Oh, he wanted to right when I was speaking. And so the reality is most of the experiences that we have with companies are either average, boring, not worthy of remark, or they're bad. And my book is about how to create the positive ones that we know people want to share if they just had more of them to share. And I believe that can be the ultimate differentiator in many, many industries where there are not a lot of positive experiences being shared. All right. So folks, y'all got to go get your copy. Really good stuff. A lot of great stories, a lot of great, very practical advice from someone that's been there and done it with some of the biggest brands that you have heard of and probably still enjoy to this day, just like me. Uh, with our friendly discovery card. So I want to talk about some of the news stories that I know you're tracking. I enjoy your uh, email newsletter, by the way. And um, I love your, you know, just like the Target example. Dan, I love how you take something that probably thousands of other people have seen, but they haven't stopped in the moment, called timeout and say, hey, this is different. This this is impactful. This is remarkable. And folks need to take notice of this because this is what you should do. Uh, and your newsletter is 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 built like that. So, yeah, so one of these stories these? that that we've been looking at here lately, I know you've been diving into, is McDonald's, which middle child and I just enjoyed. She loves McNuggets, okay. and who doesn't? We were just on a road trip the other day, stopped at our friendly McDonald's, and they just hired a chief customer officer. So, 
your take, what, what impact is that going to have? What are they trying to do with that hire and that leadership? Well, thank you, by the way, for calling out the newsletter. I'm going to do a shameless plug and say, if you want, if you're interested in it, it's at cxnewsletter.com. That will get you to it to subscribe. So I worked at McDonald's only for about a year and, and just up front, I did not have a great experience there for a lot of different reasons. And I tell a story in, you know, kind of within the framework of them hiring this chief customer officer. My, my take on it is better late than never. I mean, I'm, I'm proud of them for doing it. They've needed it for a long time. And the, and the reason being, and this is the story in the, in the blog and the newsletter, is that for so long, the focus was so much on the financials that the customer was often lost in the shuffle. And as long as we had a good sales day, it didn't matter if we pissed off a few customers along the way. And I never liked that attitude because my belief is every customer matters. If you lose a customer, if McDonald's loses a customer to Wendy's, it's a double loss, right? They've lost a customer and their competitor has gained a customer. It's like, it's like double, right? And so I think it's really, really important. And I talk about this concept in my book called the leaky bucket, which is true of almost every company. They have a leaky bucket. These are customers that are walking out the door. And they're not telling you. They're the silent but deadly ones. They are just leaving because you annoyed them somehow. You didn't deliver on the experience that they expected. You didn't answer their customer service inquiry fast enough, whatever. And they leave. And those are the most dangerous ones because they don't even tell you why they're leaving. I would much rather have someone leave my business and tell me so I can fix it for the next guy than to just leave. And I feel like McDonald's didn't get that. And in particular, the, the story in the blog is about when they brought back their Szechuan sauce. There was a lot of PR around this, a big story because it was sort of a, a homegrown demand from the Rick and Morty show. And they got all these fans to request this ridiculous sauce that you know hadn't been seen since the 80s. And it came back. And it ended up being sort of a disaster and success at the same time. It was a success because sales were up that day. Woo it was a disaster because thousands of people waited out in line overnight, overnight to get a pack, packet of sauce. Wow. And only learned in the morning that each restaurant only had like 50 packets of sauce. And so people were really angry. And I was heading up social media and I'm fielding all of these you know, comments all day long about how they hate McDonald's. They're never coming back and this and that. And, you know, I knew some of them were facetious. I knew some of them were just heat of the moment. I also knew some of them probably weren't coming back, right? And, and, and even if it was a small portion of the tens of thousands of tweets and posts we saw that day, to me, that was a big deal. And what happened internally was there was so much celebration about how this campaign drove year-over-year -year sales increases that we basically just swept the social media backlash under the carpet. And I wasn't okay with that um, because I think when you look at, you know, people often ask me, well, how do you calculate the ROI of customer experience? Well, you got to look at both sides of the coin for one, sure. <laughs> right? You know, you might've gained some customers today, but if you lost even more, it wasn't a net gain. Uh, and so all that to say, I think that McDonald's was in need of a chief customer officer, and I'm, I'm glad they hired one uh, because they're good at a lot of things, but I don't think that that was, that the customer was always front and center. Um, and to me, that's what makes the most successful companies. Excellent point. And, and by the way, McDonald's, please don't mess with our hot mustard. That's one, another one of those sauces that come and goes depending on what, what franchise you're at. But uh, nevertheless, 
All right. So from McDonald's, Dan, I appreciate your your take on that and, and your transparent take on that to taco trucks. And just, just last weekend, we've got a, one of our favorite Mexican restaurants here in, in our neck of the woods. And they did such a great job. We're, we're basically raving fans, right? But I'm starting to think from doing some of my homework on some of your POV, it's amazing what you can learn when it comes to customer experience from simply a taco. So tell us more. What, what can we learn from a taco truck? So I, you know, one of the things I love about customer experience is it happens every day, everywhere. All you have to do is pay attention to it. And I saw this article in Newsweek that I just absolutely loved about a taco truck owner who had a frequent customer who came by several times a week. And all of a sudden, this customer stopped coming by. And the taco truck owner was worried about her and and didn't know what happened to her. And so he called her and left her a voicemail that basically said, you know, hey, it's so-and-so from the taco truck. Haven't seen you in a while. Just wanted to check in and see if you were okay. Well, it turns out she actually was sick and, mm. and was at home for a while. And uh, and that's why she wasn't coming by. Well, this woman ends up creating a TikTok video and sharing the voicemail from the taco truck owner in the video. The video at last count has been seen more than 3 million times. Wow. And all of a sudden, this taco truck guy is a celebrity. Why? Because he was a human being. And because he, because he had some empathy and caring for one of his customers, he didn't do anything so outlandish, right? He just cared. He knew his customer enough to know that she wasn't showing up. And he cared enough to do something about it. And so I kind of ask everyone in any business, do you know your customers that well? And if you do, are you willing to call them up and check in on them sometimes and see how they're doing? Because that goes a really long way. And no, not all of your customers are going to be TikTok influencers, right? <laughs> but that's not the point. The point is, is that there's a humanity to business. And the companies that are so well-loved, and you named a few earlier on, but you think about the Apples and the Disneys and all that sort of stuff, they get us as humans, they get us, right? And and we feel, and that's why we have feelings towards those brands. And, you know, can you have feelings towards a credit card? I guess you can, right? Which to me says you can have feelings towards your lawyer or your dentist. I do a lot of work with dentists, right? And there are, you know, you could look at d- dentistry as being one of the most commoditized businesses in the world, right? They all do the same procedures. They right. all charge about the same amount, you know, because it goes to insurance anyway and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> But imagine a dentist who does more than that and who is memorable in some way. And there's some dentists that are doing wonderful things on social media and, uh, you know, and helping people eliminate fear of going to the dentist and all this sort of stuff that make them stand out so that when somebody's sitting there and saying, well, I got three dentists within a mile, which one should I go to? The choice becomes easier, right? Because this guy over here has got a lot of people talking about him and saying how great it is to go to their office. Mm. And these guys here don't see anything. So I'm going to the one that's got the great reviews. So it's it, to me, this works in any industry. And, it, and I want to kind of follow that by saying, I want to give your audience a practical tip because oftentimes people will say, all right, Dan, this is great, but like, what, do I, how, what do I do now? How do I start? And staying on the dentists for a second, did you know that most dentists have their office in the back of the building? And so they enter every morning in the back of the building. That is exactly the wrong place for them to enter. 
Because if they enter the front of the building, then they see what their patients see. They walk into the, into the uh, reception area and they look around and see, does it look nice? Are the magazines neatly arranged? And by the way, are the magazines from you know 2007 or are they updated? What's the lighting like? How does it smell? Does it look welcoming? You know, these are things that you can't notice if you walk in the back door. Right. And so what I want to tell you, if you, even if you don't literally have a front or back door, is become a customer of your own company in any way that you can. And I understand a lot of your folks are, are, uh, are in the supply chain business and they're going to say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, then maybe you become a customer of the retailer that is selling your item, or you become a customer of the shipping company that you are working with, or you talk to your customers and have them give you deep insight into what it's like to do business with you and what the process is like. What you're going to hear are things like, and I'm making this up, like, you know, I understand that there's a lot of disruption in supply chain, but I just wish you'd tell me, like, I, I just wish you'd inform me more. And then you'll be like, wow, well, that's easy. I can, I mean, I can fix that. Right. I can't fix the disruptions, but I can fix how I inform people. But you won't know that if you don't actually either become a customer or talk to your customers. And I think we all know because we're all consumers in our real life. When you ask for someone's opinion, you're going to get it. And be ready because you may not like what they have to say, but it's going to be incredibly useful to building your business and to in enhancing that experience. Love that. And and it can absolutely, what you're talking about, some folks call it a sensei walk, right? As you're talking about the dentist coming through the front of the building and kind of very consciously going through their patient's experience, what they're seeing, what they're smelling, what they're hearing. A lot of manufacturing plants, uh, especially those that really believe in 5S and 6S, they will uh, use their they're uh, continuous improvement champions, and they'll go on these sensei walks starting in the parking lot. You know, what does it? What does that communicate to your suppliers or your customers? Right, that show up in your parking lot and park, and there's trash everywhere, cigarette butts, or, or whatever it is. Right, it communicates whether you like it or not some aspect of your culture and your operation, and and you got to you got to you got to really approach that holistically to get it right. And 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 those that that do so have the strongest cultures that impact other aspects of the operation. So I love that, uh, Dan, is deeply uh, applicable to global supply chain. You know, one, one other, because I, I know you yep. love the examples, I want to give you a quick other example. It's not mine. It actually is from Howard Schultz's book. Howard Schultz is the founder and CEO of Starbucks. And one of the things, the stories that stuck out in my mind from reading his book is early days, Starbucks was trying to be like the it's, it's based off of the Italian cafes and so and, and and it's supposed to create that atmosphere and apparently I'm not I'm not enough of a coffee snob to really know this but apparently in Italy adding certain things to your coffee is considered distasteful and one of those things is skim milk um, that's a very American thing and so apparently at some point early on in days in, in Starbucks they didn't offer skim milk as an ad as an add-on to their coffee so Howard Schultz used to spend a lot of time in Starbucks restaurants just sitting there observing. And one day he watches this woman come in in workout gear and she you know, clearly just been at the gym and she ordered a coffee with skim milk and she was told that they don't have skim milk and she turned around and left. And the next day, Howard Schultz told all of his stores were now carrying skim milk. <laughs> Right. And I love that because that is listening to your customer. Right. But also, if you go back to well, why were they not carrying skim milk in the first place? 
it was maybe a nice idea on paper because we want to be like these Italian cafes, but their customers didn't care. That's not what they wanted. They wanted the darn skim milk in their coffee and now they get it. And now they get coconut milk and soy milk and almond milk and all the other things that they can put in. Right. Uh, but that is truly listening to your customer. Yeah. Sometimes we can't get out of our own way, right? We, we think, we think, we're thinking about the customer, but really we're thinking about what we want, what we think the customer wants versus what they really are communicating and shouting at us sometimes that they want. I love that Starbucks example. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So we're going to make sure folks know where to get the book from. But one of my final questions for you, I love, and you've already shared plenty of Eureka moments, but I'm going to ask you for one more, especially in this in this you know, pandemic environment where sometimes, some days, I don't know about you, but I'm having three or four, especially as we see different places that are that that aren't quite even as close as we are hopefully knock a wood to breaking into the post pandemic environment. I mean we're talking about sports on the front end. There's there's plenty of other places around the globe that aren't even back there yet and and they don't have that mental departure that is so needed. So, but it doesn't have to be tied to the pandemic. What what's another eureka moment that's been a powerful one for you here not in, relatively recently? Well, I think the eureka moment that, so the interesting thing about the pandemic is it just like it shined a really bright light on supply chain, it also shined a really bright light on customer experience. And what we found is that customers had this moment where everybody's suffering, everybody is having, you know, either worried about their health or having health issues. Uh, they might be having financial issues. Times are tough, right? And it was at that moment that customers looked and said, well, which companies are taking care of me right now and which companies have disappeared? And I wrote another article, again, based on personal experience. But if you remember way at the beginning of the pandemic, we all got these emails from every company that's ever had our email address. And they were all the same. We care about your safety and we have enhanced our cleaning procedures. And this is what we're now doing. And if you have any questions, visit the CDC website. We got hundreds of these, right? To the point where you just ended up deleting them. I mean, it reminded me like a couple of years ago when uh, the European privacy laws changed, we all got the privacy policy emails. Well, I got an email from Charles Schwab, who is uh, I've, in, I've uh, had my bank accounts and investment accounts in for decades. Charles Schwab's email said, we know that you must be worried about a volatile stock market during these difficult times. So here are a bunch of tools that we have for you to help navigate these difficult waters. They didn't tell me at all about their cleaning procedures. They didn't direct me for the 9,000th time to the CDC. <laughs> they gave me what I needed when I needed from the company I needed it from, right? I mean, it was like a perfect match of this is what I expect from my brokerage firm. And yes, I am worried about a volatile stock market. And yes, I could use some tools right now. And thank you for understanding where my brain was at. And so few companies did that. They all said, oh, well, you know, everybody else is sending this hand washing and uh, cleaning email. We better send it too. And it's like, well, why? Why do you feel like you have to check the box, you know, just to say you did it? And I think it's such a great example. And to me, this was a eureka moment really early on in the pandemic. It's like, you know what? There are companies that are going to stand out and that are going to win because of how they react right now when times are tough. And sure enough, customers looked at these companies and they started, the number of customers that switched brands during the pandemic was ridiculous because the brands that weren't delivering what they needed, they said, forget it. I'm going to go find somebody that can. And that should wake up a lot of people. 
right? You know, if you're not there when the times are tough, I'm not even going to be around to find out if you're there when the times are good. Uh, and I think that was a big, big learning for companies. I love that. What a great Eureka moment to kind of wrap today's conversation on. But if you if you want a lot more uh, to our listeners, if you want a lot more practical, been there, done that, proven ideas and, and uh, practices and insights, especially on how to optimize your customer experience, make sure you check out Dan's book, The Experience Maker. And Dan, where can folks find your book and connect with you? You should be able to find it on any fine bookstore that you like shopping at, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million, Walmart.com, wherever. It'll be available in physical bookstores uh, September 14th. And uh, also, you can go to the experiencemakerbook.com. We're offering a whole bunch of bonuses for people that pre-order the book that are completely free, and you can get them on that page. And then connect with me at dangingus.com or on Twitter at dgingus. I'm on LinkedIn, as you know. Uh, or just you know, pay attention to what Scott's posting because I'm usually sharing and liking and commenting on his posts. Uh, but I'd love to connect with people, love to answer questions. Uh, I practice what I preach. So if you write to me, I will write back and, and engage back with you. Love that. And we're going to make it really easy. We're going to include all those contact links, social links, you name it, in the show notes of today's episode, giving you one click to get connected with Dan, the book, and, and the whole whole shebang. So big thanks, Dan Gingas, keynote, author, consultant, coach, Cubs fan, heck of a guy. Really have enjoyed your perspective here today, Dan. Well, thank you, Scott. Really appreciate uh, you having me on the show and uh, keep doing what you're doing too, because it's awesome. And, and this is so needed in your space and uh, and it's great to know you and, and we'll do it again sometime. Sounds wonderful. Sounds wonderful. So folks, we've been talking with Dan Gingas. Make sure you check out his book, The Experience Maker, available everywhere, everywhere you get your books from now and in stores physically, sounds like in September. So check that out. But folks, hopefully enjoyed today's conversation as much as I have. Dan is, um, I love how he he puts it in human terms or whatever he's talking about. He puts it in human terms, human experiences that we all, it can, it resonates with us, right? Those are the best interviews. So make sure you connect with Dan, make sure you get his book. If you like this conversation, make sure you find Supply Channel wherever you get your podcast from, subscribe so you don't miss any future conversations. On that note, on behalf of our entire team here, Scott Luton signing off today. Hey, challenging you to do good, give forward and be the change that is needed. Don't stick to the industry norms, challenge everything. And on that note, we'll see you next time right here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.